Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today. I am so glad that you're here listening in. And in my experience, we tend to talk a lot about girls and their challenges with body image and their weight and and confidence. But the truth is boys also experience struggles and challenges around similar issues with body image and weight and how they look and confidence. But we don't tend to talk about it as much or as Women, it's a challenge to know how to talk to our boys about body image. Well, in today's interview, I have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Charlotte Markey about her latest book, Being You, the Body Image Book for Boys, which is excellent. And Dr. Charlotte Markey, if you're not familiar with her, she's been on the show before. She is a world leading expert in body image research, having studied all things body image, eating behavior, and weight management for her entire adult life. She is passionate about understanding what makes us feel good about our bodies and helping people to develop a healthy, body image. We discuss in this episode so many different things about the pressure that boys feel to be athletic and muscular and the physical and mental impact this has on our boys and also what we can do about it to raise our boys with a healthy self-image. So let's dive in. Well, welcome back, Dr. Markey. I'm so excited to have you here again and on our show. Thanks so much for having me back. Well, I have to thank you. That's how I want to start out for writing your latest book about body image and boys, because I cannot express to you how often moms reach out to me and they're like, please, I need help talking to my son about his weight, about body image issues, about exercise. I mean, just everything that you cover in this book um, is so important and so needed. Um, I just want to start out after saying that, what are some, um, what led you, we'll start out there, what led you to write this book? It's interesting because I think people are often surprised by a book about body image or that sort of focuses on body image for boys. 
Um, but when I proposed the girls book, which I published a couple years earlier, um, the body image book for girls, when I proposed that and was working on that with my editor, she told me right from the beginning, she said, you know, I understand why you want to look at just girls and then boys, because part of body image development in the tween and teen years is puberty too, right? So she, mm-hmm. we were very clear that like, okay, we can't put this really easily all in one book. And she said, I want a book for boys too. And so really from the get-go, we had a plan and um, I was, you know, really lucky and just really pleased that people received the girls book as well as they have. And then when I did circle back and say, okay, I'm ready to start the next one. It was a go. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Well, I love how you have, you co-authored this book with two men is, would you say co-authored? Is that how you would say it? Yeah, I definitely wanted to bring some men on board. Um, I just feel like our own lived experiences are relevant in discussing some of these issues. And so I have one of my co-authors, Dan Hart, is, um, you know, an expert in adolescent development, especially among boys and men. And then um, the third author, Doug, is younger himself. Well, I guess he's about 30 now, but um, just, you know, really interested in mental health issues and um, helped us sort of stay grounded in the right century, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what I love is he interviewed a lot of boys for this book. Yeah, we both did a lot of the interviews. We wanted to make sure that if boys wanted to talk to a man, we had that option. And if they didn't oh, care, okay. if they didn't care, then I talked to them usually. Um, but Doug definitely did, did some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you interviewed them too. So did you find that they, that it was equal or were they like, no, I want to talk to a man. It was, didn't, it was pretty equal. Actually, a lot of them said they didn't really care. And maybe that was because they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think sometimes too, you know, I'm probably a more maternal figure. I have my own teenagers. And so, you know, maybe that also had some appeal, like talking to, you know, a, a mom versus another guy about some of this might've felt easier in some cases. Yeah, because one of the things I love about the book is, you know, when it comes to being a mom, most of our listeners are are moms. It's hard to know how to talk to our sons about these things and how to get them to open up. And and how old is your son? My son's almost 17 now. Okay, so you're like right in it. Yeah. (laughs) What did he think think about you writing this book? Um, you know, it's interesting because when I was working on the book for girls, my daughter was really involved. She's a couple years younger than him. Um, but she read some of the chapters for me and she had some ideas and, um, she didn't have any issue if I wanted to talk to some of her friends. Um, and my son definitely wants more boundaries between my work and his life. Um, and I, I do respect that. Um, but there were definitely times where, 
um, you know, like when we were working on the cover for the book, I kept going to him and saying, what do you think about this one? And um, so some things he was into uh, when we picked the illustrator, that piece, he was he was kind of into talking to me about it. Um, and, you know, I've left the book in his room, so I hope maybe he reads it. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reads it when you're not looking and he won't let you know he read it broad chances are but I mean that's what I've learned the the sort of the you know through experience as a parent is that oftentimes teenagers feel in, a little bit embarrassed to express interest yeah. in some of these topics and I think that that's completely normal and one way we can respond to that as parents is just to make it easy for them just to leave the book in their room um just to share information and then it's there when they need it. You know, this, these books are, are meant to be references. They're not necessarily the sort of book you just sit down and read from cover to cover. Um, I think you can jump in and out of them pretty easily. Yes, for so, sure. So they're, they're references, you know? Yeah. I noticed as I was reading it and it is, very masculine looking. I can see how that's important. You know, you want them to have something next to their bedside table that looks cool, you know, and in the way that you illustrate. But I noticed I was so fascinated by the personal stories that different boys were sharing. And I was like, yes, like so relevant to what they're going through. And I also love the myths uh, and misbelief sections. And those were really helpful too. And so I was like, I want to read about what the, the myths are in these personal stories that speak to their experiences. Um, yeah. yeah. Wait, one was that I hear a lot from moms is concern because their sons are smaller. And, yeah. and that was even touched on. Yeah. I mean, I think that so much of this is the same when we talk about boys and girls, and then there are some distinctions. And one of them is that boys want to be bigger and taller and more muscular and masculine, and girls are are much more concerned about losing weight or, you know, staying a certain weight. Um, and so those are manifestations of, of body dissatisfaction or self-consciousness. Um, and, and yet they lead to different behaviors. Yeah. So let's just dig into that a little bit because you have a lot of research. I mean, everything in the book you've based on research of hundreds of thousands of boys, but what are some of the common struggles and challenges you're seeing when it comes to body image and boys? Yeah, for boys, there's a lot of pressure right now. And I think social media has definitely contributed to this with um, boys feeling like they need to bulk up. And on social media, there's a lot of sort of weightlifting and related eating regimens that boys are exposed to. And so it's really accessible information and it's not evidence-based. And for the most part, it's not necessary. Um, it's, you know, for example, one of the myths is that boys need more protein or that protein consumption will fuel muscularity. And that's really actually not true that boys and girls don't really need that different 
amounts of, of protein. And if you consume more protein than your body can can use, you just excrete it. So you don't store it for, you know, muscle building. That's I, I don't really even know where that comes from um, as a cultural myth. Yeah. And it's really become, it seems like just in the last, I don't know, five years, five or 10 years, it's become a much bigger issue. And do you think that's because of social media? I mean, I think social media is a big piece of it. Um, we don't have great data to connect those dots. So I'm, I can only say that sort of speculatively and in, in terms of then my conversations I've had in the last few years with boys. Um, but, you know, they're not buying books and reading them. Yeah, yeah. On, you know, like weightlifting, right? They're just looking at TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that, you know, kids in general need more evidence-based information that's really easy and accessible. Um, that's provided by by experts, which is what we're trying to do um, with these books, because there's just a lot of inaccurate information on TikTok and Instagram and yes, yes. all over. Yeah. In so many different areas too. Yeah. Um, so how would you define, I mean, I think of it like I I know what it means, but looking at the book, I was like, oh, what does body image really mean? And why is it important to talk about it when it comes to our boys? Yeah. So body image is sort of at the most basic level, how we think and feel about our bodies, but it really is not a superficial construct. It's not just about our appearance. It really is how comfortable are we with ourselves? How do we sort of feel in our own skin? And it has really important consequences for mental health in general, but also health behaviors and interpersonal relationships. Um, it sounds a little bit dramatic, but I often say like body image is related to everything. Like if you don't feel good about yourself, then that's going to drive a whole host of behaviors. It's going to influence your relationships and it's going to really affect your mental health. Yeah. To raise boys that feel confident about who they are Mm -hmm. and, and how important that is to our boys. And we seem to miss that. It, we want it, them to, yeah, be confident with who they are, but but not because they look like an action hero necessarily, right? Like that that shouldn't be a prerequisite for that confidence. Yeah. When you were interviewing the boys, were you surprised by what they were saying? I mean, I probably shouldn't have been because I've read the literature and I've studied these issues for so long, but I was surprised in many ways. I think with two things. One is that um, boys seem to not really have the language to articulate their concerns the way that girls do. So when I talk with girls, even an 11 or a 12-year-old girl, once we get going, um, they know what I'm talking about when I say body image. They'll start telling me stories, experiences. It it becomes a fast-paced conversation really quickly. And with boys, that doesn't happen. Um, It starts off very slow. And if I ask them about body image, they'll typically say like, oh, I'm fine. Oh. mm -hmm. And so then you have to really kind of try to unearth um, 
well, how do you eat? You know, how, tell me about your exercise habits or, you know, you have to sort of like almost get at it through different questions because they don't associate that language, which they view as relatively feminine with themselves. And so um, they will say, I'm, I don't have any body image issues or I don't, you know, have any eating issues or anything. I'm good. And then they'll go on to tell you about their protein smoothie regimen or their, you know, workout regimen or how they won't take their shirt off at the pool. Um, and so it's really interesting that they just don't seem to be able to easily articulate some of what young girls, for better or worse, <laughs> um, understand and can talk about. And then the other thing that I find really fascinating is that once they do start talking and they start saying things like, I worry about not eating whatever, or I don't want to go to the pool, or I never take my shirt off, or I hate having a change in the locker room, that in some ways, this sounds so much like girls have been, what girls have been telling me for years, right? It's just like a variant on the same theme of, I feel self-conscious. I'm trying to change my behavior so that I feel less self-conscious and I don't really know what to do. And it's not working usually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that too. And I have a son and he's in his 20s. He's older now, but I remember when they would, um, he and his friends, they would like compare their muscles or they would compare their six pack and they would banter back and forth and they might make fun of one of the friends that he didn't have his six pack was soft or something like that. And then they all laughed and reading through the book, I'm thinking, you know, they hide it so well though. You know, they wouldn't show that that was upsetting to them, Mm -hmm. but it's there. And I, I thought, oh, they must, they can banter like that, but it's that they're sensitive inside and it does impact them, but they're not going to be as likely to talk about it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I was really kind of moved a number of times and, and talking with boys in terms of how sensitive they were, because, you know, I thought that sort of almost like teenage locker room kind of banter, um, about bodies or whatever was not really affecting them quite the same way it might affect girls. Um, what's interesting though, is that I think most girls now are really sensitive to not saying a lot of that, you know, that us parents have socialized our daughters better in some ways about, no, you don't say that, or that doesn't matter. Um, And they're just kind of, they have more insight and we haven't been as on top of our sons, I think. And, And I'm guilty as well, because again, like you said, they don't seem as affected. So it doesn't seem like you need to have the conversation. Yeah, but it but it's there. And that's another reason that I just want to plug your book again, because what I love about the book is I think a boy would pick it up and wouldn't let us know they were picking it up, but you place it by their bedside and they can read it and know, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Like there's other guys, cool guys that are feeling the same way that I'm feeling. 
because when you don't talk about it, it can feel very alone in those feelings. And, uh, and like boys are taught, you, you talk about this as well. And I would love you to touch on this. Boys are, they, they have messages that they get very early on and they internalize those messages. What are a few of the messages that you think are, are big ones? I mean, I definitely think that, you know, being sort of strong and, and stoic is just really important. And, you know, then we wonder why boys become sort of obsessed with their, their muscles or lifting weights when they're 15. What well, we've been telling them since they were like six, you know, toughen up or yeah. walk it off or, you know, I mean, they've been getting sort of these messages for all of their lives, practically, that it's important that they be strong and tough. And they want to then embody that because cultural messages reinforce anything that we might have said at home as well. Um, So I think that that's really important to um, consider and think about as we talk with and try to socialize our boys. Um, I think also it's, it's interesting that they still, even though I know this seems like a stereotype, they still really get messages about not talking about their feelings or not sharing their feelings. And like you were saying, I hope that the book serves a role for those boys who feel like they are feeling things that they want to talk to someone about, or they want to, to be able to, um, you know, understand better. And, and this is really problematic for both boys and men's mental health, you know, even beyond adolescence, because, having good mental health often means thinking through, talking through, working through problems. Like we all encounter challenges in life. And if we just completely ignore or suppress them, that doesn't always go very well. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's hard on our relationships too. Yeah. And so we want our boys to, to, you know, grow up feeling a little more comfortable with their feelings and, um, and it's tough. It's tough. Even if we say it, if their friends aren't like that, or if other influences in their lives are kind of giving them the signals to stay quiet or to not be emotional, um, it's tough. Yeah, it is. What are the, um, you have some statistics of how this is impacting our boys. What, what are some of the statistics? And they've been on the rise, haven't they? Yeah. So we know that when we look at body dissatisfaction among adolescent girls and boys, that it's almost comparable. So I think that in most studies, girls end up being a little more dissatisfied on average, but boys are really close. And we see about 60% of boys trying to change their bodies somehow um, using whether it be exercise or diet or supplements or something like that. Um, A growing percent of boys in pretty large recent studies, you know, so up to around 10% saying that they're taking some sort of supplement or even steroids to try to increase increase their muscularity. So that's something really to, to be on the lookout for. Um, supplements in the United States are not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. They often contain ingredients that are not safe for developing bodies. 
So for the most part, we really don't want our kids to be taking any sort of supplement unless it's prescribed by a physician for some reason. Um, so we want to be on the lookout for that. Um, and we also see more boys and men that are diagnosed with eating disorders. So about one fourth to one third of cases of eating disorders are among boys and men. Wow. I mean, that's really been on the rise. I, I've heard from a lot of moms that sons have eating disorders, especially since the pandemic. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, I think there are a few things going on. And one of them may be that we've all across the pandemic at various times been home with each other more. So maybe we're more aware of some of what's going on. That could be part of it. Part of it, of course, though, is just that the pandemic has had a toll in terms of most of our mental health, right? It hasn't been a mental health improving experience for really anyone. So, um, you know, the best most of us could do across the pandemic is just maintain the status quo. But for a lot of young people whose lives were just really disrupted at a critical juncture in terms of normal developmental tasks, you know, being able to go to school and have more freedom, spending more time with friends or significant others, to have all of that sort of fall apart for um, a group of young people has had real consequences. And so um, some of the disruption is is managed by um, changes in behaviors, right? So some boys maybe were bored or isolated and engaged in more exercise, for example, um, just to initially maybe give themselves something to do or something to let them feel, um, you know, more on top of their lives. So it's not always... You know, the the beginning of an eating disorder is not always a young person or or any person saying like, I want to have an eating disorder or I'm really upset about my appearance even and therefore I want to manipulate it. Sometimes the behaviors come first and they become uh, a compulsion, which then really can be diagnosed as a eating disorder. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, there's it was very, um, feelings, I think of just feeling out of control during the pandemic. And that's just one way that maybe I can control something. Would you say that you think that's true as well? I think that's really relevant for some people. And I mean, I think all of us sort of felt a little bit lost, especially the first year, right? We had no idea really what was going on, what we are in for, how long it would go on for. Um, And I think adults, we have a better sense of perspective. So for many of us, a month of our life or even a year of our life doesn't feel quite so critical as if you're starting high school, let's say, right? That year feels really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And even just a few weeks can just feel like so much more important, I think, to a young person in terms of disruption to their lives and routines. Such a good point. Yeah, there's so much more in the moment in many ways. And and we have that long-term perspective where, yeah, they don't have that as much. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So how do we begin to open up a little bit of dialogue? Because that's where it's hard to know 
what do you say? How can you relieve some of that? Coach them, you know, to relieve uh, some of that pressure. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing we can do is just try to set a pretty good example when it comes to um, our own body images and how we treat our own bodies and how we talk about ourselves. So we want to make sure that we're not being disparaging of ourselves or being really rigid about our own eating behaviors, because then we essentially teach our kids that those are reasonable approaches um, to managing these sorts of concerns. When in truth, usually those are not effective approaches and they're just, um, you know, have negative consequences for mental health. So, so we want to set a good example, Mm -hmm. um, work on our own body image, work on some self-acceptance for the sake of our kids. Um, And then we also want to ask them a lot of questions, um, not just yes or no questions, because we know how that goes. Um, (laughs) But um, try to ask questions about these issues to get them talking. And like all sort of touchy topics when it comes to adolescence, and, and really any topic can be a touchy topic when you're talking with your teenager, I think. Yeah. Um, sometimes there are sort of indirect ways in. And I think if you have a kid stuck in the car with you and you're driving them somewhere and there's a recent news story or you've just listened to this podcast, you can say, I was just listening to this and I heard about so-and-so. And do you know anyone with an eating disorder? Um, and you can sort of start a conversation that's not just about them per se, that feels a little less personal. And then that's just a way to to start to develop some rapport around a certain topic. Or if you're watching TV together and, or a movie, right. And you, you see some sort of superhero type Chris Pratt in whatever Marvel movie he's in now, I've lost track. Um, You can say, wow, you know, I, I read that he has to work out like 10 hours a day to get that body. And that seems super unrealistic for anyone who isn't going to be in a Marvel movie, right? So you can make sure that they understand that some of what they're seeing is really unrealistic. Um, so, so there are some indirect routes, I think, that can be more effective, perhaps more so even when we're talking with our sons. Yeah, that's good because it's that whole comparison thing, isn't it? That, you know, comparing, but then is that really realistic? Is that what we're holding our, you know, our, ourselves to that when, you know, you can't work out 10 hours and thinking that that is the be, be all end all, you know, of how you should look if you're really macho. Yeah. And I, I like to tell both kids and adults that, you know, so many of the people we compare ourselves to, it is their job to look good, right? For most of us, our lives are just full of other things, right? We don't have a whole team of people trying to make us look good. And we're going to school or work or tending to a house and a family or whatever it may be, having relationships, right? We we just have more on our plate that will not allow for a 10-hour-a-day gym regimen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that we have to keep that in perspective and appreciate that, I mean, personally, I really like to exercise, but I would not want a 10 hour a day gym regimen. Like I, you know, half hour, an hour is good for, I think most of us. And yeah. So we, we need that 
we as adults sometimes need that perspective, but then we really need to offer it to our kids who don't have as much life experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. As far as puberty, you know, and talking to them about the changes they're going through. Do you think that that's as moms, do you feel like that's appropriate? Should we try to, you know, sometimes moms are, I think, well, let dad talk to him, but sometimes there's not, dad doesn't want to talk about it because he doesn't know how to talk about it, or there's, dad's not there. What, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's great if there's a dad or some other father figure in boys' lives that's comfortable talking about these issues. And, um, you know, sometimes I definitely have asked um, my kid's dad or their stepdad (laughs) to to get involved. Um, You know, because I think that you, you sort of, you know, they were boys once. And so they kind of have a little, they seem more credible in terms of authority figures about some of these topics. Um, but I also think there's nothing wrong with, with moms or maternal figures getting involved in a lot of these conversations that even a lot of the pubertal changes that boys and girls experience are really not that different. Um, you know, the end result of course is pretty wildly different, but those changes in our skin for, for all of us going through puberty changes in our voice, even that happens for girls too. It's just not quite as pronounced. Um, hairiness, right? Everyone grows more hair almost everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I mean, a lot of this for moms is not quite as foreign as we might think. And so mm-hmm. if you were to read through the puberty chapter in Being You, or if you pick up a, a different puberty book for boys, I think most women will all say, like, oh, yeah, okay, this looks pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm pretty familiar in, in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, and kids get some of this at, at school. It, it varies pretty considerably in terms of how much information and how evidence-based it is even coming from schools. Um, but that can be a good entree to, to talking about some of this as well. If you know your kid's in a health class and they're covering puberty um, and you're looking at their homework, um, I've definitely used that as an excuse to to try to insert some more information or to ask them, you know, do you have any questions about that? Did you guys really cover that? Did you yeah. mm-hmm. did you talk about that in school? Um, you know, I, I think too that parents can find this really awkward. Um, and so it's fine to joke around a little bit about yeah. some of it. Yeah. <laughs> have a little humor and say, this is, I know this is awkward to talk about. Yeah. 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 But yeah. not to shy away from it. And your book right. is helpful. Like to be, to read through your book and, and then be able to just say, Hey, if you have any questions, yeah, you, yeah this is a, you know, could be very helpful to answering a lot of your questions. Yeah. And I think too, if we can repeatedly say to our kids, like, I'm here for you, you know, maybe not even in those exact words, but I'm here for you. If you have questions, I probably have the answers or I will help you figure them out and, and warn kids that, you know, the answers are not necessarily online or what you're going to find online is not always accurate. And so 
I think that's really important because that's a huge difference. When I was a kid, we couldn't go online to look up stuff about puberty. Um, so a lot of the information we had access to had been kind of vetted by some responsible adult. Yes, yes. And now that's just not the case anymore. And so a kid is understandably, if they feel embarrassed, they they want to just go Google it if they have access to a computer or a phone or an iPad or whatever. Um, but we want them to know that that's not always going to be accurate. You should, you know, talk to us or or a source that is, um, you know, an expert. I love that. And I think that's very important for our listeners to talk to, you know, talk with their kids about that. I mean, if you even think it was making me think about if I Google like, oh, you know, some little ailment I have and you pull it up and, oh gosh, talk about all the different information and how scary it can be. And, how important it is for our kids to know that they need to go to sources that are that are evidence based that there's there's research done that's got to drive you crazy <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to work in health and wellness spaces right now because yeah. people have access to so much health information that's inaccurate and because people read that they think that they're experts often and you know, the information's, you're only as good as your information. If the information's not good, then you're actually not an expert. Yeah, um, yes. I think too, it's, it's worth, you know, making sure our kids know when they go to a pediatric well visit, or if they're seeing a doctor about anything else, you know, a lot of times as our kids are going through puberty, um, your doctor will ask the parent to step out of the room for some of the visits. Mm-hmm. And I usually remind my kids, like, I'm going to bring you there. I'll probably be in the room at first and then I'm going to leave. And if you have questions, you should ask the doctor. This is what they do. There's really like nothing off limits or nothing they haven't heard before. And if they ask you questions or if you have questions, like you should use that time. Um, I think a lot of kids would be too nervous or self-conscious to do that. But I really hope if we say that enough as parents, then if something serious at least comes up, they feel all right to ask. Yeah, yeah. And to trust the process to step out of the room, that's really important to know that it's, they're more private. It's good to hear it from a, be able to ask a doctor, you know, some of the questions they feel uncomfortable asking us. Right. It's completely developmentally appropriate for their to be some boundaries, actually, as, as kids are going through puberty, right? Um, yes. And, and we have to trust our providers that they're, they're checking things physically that we can't check um, at a certain age and, and that, you know, kids can then talk with them. Yeah, very helpful. Well, Dr. Markey, thank you so much. Is there any parting words, um, anything that you want to say to our listeners or um, even what your hopes are that this book, you know, that, that boys and parents will get from this book? I think it's just so important that both boys and parents understand that everyone has a body image. Body image is relevant to boys. We want to talk with our boys about um, appropriate, moderate, healthy dietary behaviors. And 
exercise behaviors. Um, so often when boys have real concerns, um, what they say they're doing is trying to get healthy. Or it may appear to adults in their spheres that, you know, they're just exercising more. They're just skipping dessert. They're just, you know, it may not on the surface level look like a problem, I think, um, until it's really serious. Yeah. And so we want to kind of, you know, kind of listen, right? If, if your kid wants to start exercising, that's great because exercise is really good for us physically and psychologically, but we want to just keep tabs on what's going on. How compulsive is it? Will kids, you know, skip their best friend's birthday party because they have to go to the gym? You have a problem then, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we want to, again, not discourage actual behaviors that can contribute to health, but just make sure, especially when it comes to boys, um, that it's not getting into sort of an extreme or compulsive territory that's really going to detract from mental and physical health. Yeah, that's helpful. And if a, if um, a parent starts or a caregiver starts seeing some of these behaviors, what do you recommend they do? I mean, I would first ask questions, you know, try to have as, as much of a conversation as you can um, and express concern. Mm-hmm. And I think it's usually better safe than sorry to make an appointment with a provider um, and make sure for the most part, adolescents should not be losing weight. They are growing, especially boys. They are growing, you know, into their 20s often. I mean, most growth happens before their 20s, but they should not be losing weight, especially boys. Um, and so you want to see your provider and, and have uh, a weight check, check um, pulse, blood pressure, things like that, because sometimes there are real physical telltale signs and um, it's just better safe than sorry. You know, you go, if you have access to a provider, you have reasonable um, insurance, it's it's just better to check those things out because when kids do or anyone starts to experience um, an actual eating disorder, early treatment is so important in terms of preventing a really long-term uh, chronic disorder. So, you know, if you can catch it within the first few months, that just bodes so much better for a kid's long-term health. Yeah. So pay attention for those warning signs and then start with going to your primary doctor, make an appointment and have them check them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good starting place, but don't just ignore it and hope it's going to go away. Yeah. I think, gosh, don't we all as, as parents want to ignore all sorts of things and yeah. hopefully work themselves out. Um, Cause you know, this is a hard job uh, as a parent, but I would, I would definitely say this is not one of the ones to ignore. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for this book being you and uh, let our listeners know where can they find you and your book? Yeah, you can just go to the body image book for boys.com and um, lots of information about me, the work I do, articles I've written, and of course, um, a link to the book is there. All right. Wonderful. And I'll, I'll share all those links as well. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate thank your you. support. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. 
Well, that's it for today. And thank you, friend, for joining me. And I want to let you know that if you have not signed up for our three-day free training that is starting in September, I want to encourage you to do so. It is such a good time where I get to connect personally with you. You get to connect with the other moms. And we are doing the three-day all around how to break free of raising entitled kids. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's really a challenge in today's age and how to know when do we step in, when do we step out, what does that look like, and how do we know if our kids are entitled? Or maybe you're like, Cheryl, I already know. But we're going to talk about the signs. We're going to talk about what you can do about it to turn the Titanic around and how to untitle your teen. And it's just going to be such a good time. If you can't come live every single day, you're going to get the replay. And um, I just love this uh, time with you. And then we open up our inner circle membership when we start an eight-week parenting program. And uh, it's, it's just so gratifying. So I hope that you will go to the website, momsoftweensandteens.com. You'll get on the wait list or you'll sign up for our newsletter and that you will join me and all the other amazing moms. So thank you for joining me. It means the world to me that you're here. And it says, just speaks volumes about the kind of mom and caregiver or youth pastor or teacher. We have so many different people that are here that are supporting tweens and teens in their lives. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you every day for what you do on behalf of our kids. And you're here because you want to be the best that you can be for them. So thank you. So I will see you back here next time. And until then, have a great week.